Chapter 2 The Angels Jesus Christ's role in creating all things is revealed in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. So part of what God created is the invisible realm. We do not know when God created the angels, but we know that it was before he created the earth. When God confronted Job near the end of his ordeal, he asked, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Job chapter 38, verses 4, 6, and 7. The Bible uses the word stars as a descriptive symbol for angels in several places. The term stars and sons of God are used here as parallel terms for the angels. They are sons in the sense that each of them was created by God as a unique being. Like God's human creation, angels have intelligent minds with free moral agency, the freedom to make choices. This is an important point to keep in mind. But when God fashioned the earth, the angels were already in existence to witness the event. They were all elated and sang and shouted for joy. We do not know how long angels had been in existence before God created the universe and earth. Perhaps it was a short time. Perhaps it was millions of years. We also notice in this account, and elsewhere in the Bible, that God created angels to have emotions just as we humans have. Here we can see they can express joy and elation. They have joy when a sinner repents, Luke chapter 15, verse 10. As we will see later, at one time the angels had the capacity for greed, pride, anger, malice, and all other emotions we are familiar with. Sidebar, the words translated as angel, malak and angelos. It is helpful to know there are some verses in the Bible where the word angel refers to a human or even to Christ. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated as our English word angel is malak. This word means messenger or representative, according to Brown, Driver, Briggs, Hebrew lexicon. Context makes it evident what or who is meant in a particular passage. Malak can refer to a human messenger, as in Job chapter 1, verse 14. And a messenger, Malak, came to Job. Malak sometimes refers to Christ as the messenger or representative of God the Father. For example, in Genesis chapter 31, verses 11 through 13, it is clear that the angel, Malak, who spoke to Jacob, was not a created angel, but the one who later came as Jesus Christ. Some translations capitalize the word angel when this is evident. Most often, Malak refers to a created angel, such as the one sent to assist the prophet Elijah. Suddenly an angel, Malak, touched him. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. In the New Testament, the Greek word translated angel is angelos. Like the Hebrew word malak, the Greek word angelos means messenger, envoy, one who is sent, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon. Angelos typically refers to a spirit angel, such as in Luke chapter 1, verse 19, and the angel, angelos, answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Angels Mightier Than Humans Not only have the angels existed longer than human beings, they are also greater than humans in several respects. 
As the Apostle Peter said, angels are greater in power and might than humans. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. In what ways are angels greater than humans? Angels are far stronger than humans. Consider the example of the angel who moved the heavy stone that covered the entrance of Christ's tomb and that had been securely sealed. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Matthew chapter 28, verses 2 through 4. This, and other accounts in the Bible, tell us that angels can handle and move physical objects, even large objects. Estimates are that such stones weighed one to two tons. Notice another example in Acts chapter 5, verse 19, when an angel appeared to Peter and freed him from prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Of course, measuring the strength of angels in human terms is problematic, Because angels operate on a different level of existence from physical human beings, we shouldn't default to thinking of objects as too heavy or too big for them to handle. Suffice it to say that God gave them the ability to interact with our physical world in ways that would require superhuman strength for us to replicate. Angels can do supernatural things. During a later imprisonment, Peter was again freed by an angel. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Acts chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, and verse 10. Another example of a supernatural act is the angel's protection of Abraham's nephew, Lot. When the men of Sodom were trying to break into Lot's house, the angels struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness. Genesis 19, verse 11. Angels can be either visible or invisible to humans at will. This is evident in the above three accounts. As a side note, we see that they can also make their voices heard by humans. There are many other examples in the Bible where angels have appeared to humans and performed mighty feats. Also, spirit beings can appear to some people while remaining invisible to others nearby. For example, Numbers chapter 22, verses 22 through 27 records the incident of a donkey seeing the angel of the Lord, who was invisible to the donkey's rider, Balaam, and his servants. Also, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17 relates a time when the prophet Elisha was aware of a multitude of angelic beings all around him, and he asked that God would allow his servant to see them. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Angels are immortal. Although only God has inherent immortality and has existed eternally, He created angels to live forever. Not comprised of physical elements, angels do not require food to sustain their life, do not experience physical maladies or degeneration, and do not die. 
When explaining about the nature of humans who will be resurrected to spirit life in the future, Christ said, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Luke chapter 20, verses 34 through 36. His comment about those in this resurrection being equal to the angels refers to being given immortality. But we are not to worship angels. Even though angels are mightier than humans, we are not to worship them. God's second commandment states, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. You shall not bow down to them. Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 and 5. This certainly includes angels. Sadly, angel worship or adoration is permitted or promoted in many Christian denominations. Ironically, almost all of these artistic portrayals are inaccurate. They do not match descriptions given in the Bible. See different types of angels below. Likewise, many churches and homes display pictures or figurines of angels, often serving as reminders to pray to an angel and to seek its favor, something explicitly forbidden in the Bible. The Apostle Paul said, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. He was addressing Jews who had subscribed to a Gnostic doctrine that taught people to revere angels as intermediaries between humans and God. The Apostle John was overwhelmed when an angel told him astonishing truths about the future. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. A very similar scenario occurred later in Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9. The Bible is clear that angels are never to be worshipped. It is also essential that we never pray to angels or seek their guidance. Some religions and movements, including parts of the New Age movement, will encourage people to seek help and answers from angels through cards or other methods. God does not want us to seek guidance from angels. The righteous angels take their orders directly from God and serve entirely at His behest. Why did God create angels? It seems God created angels to assist Him in carrying out His plans. This would have been true even before there was a universe, earth, or humans. Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21, shows that angels do God's bidding. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. God created them on a level of existence far below himself in power, authority, and ability. Another term we use to describe different levels of existence is kingdoms. For existence, there is the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom. Above the human level of existence is the angelic level, and the highest of all is the God level of existence. When God created humans, angels became involved in serving God and carrying out his plan for humans. King David said, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? 
for you have made him a little lower than the angels. Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5. Yet God also inspired David to show this was a temporary arrangement. In verses 5 and 6, he continues, And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Hebrews chapter 2, which quotes King David's words, then explains the meaning of David's statement. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Verses 7 and 8. The author of Hebrews explains in the second half of verse 8, For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. In other words, while we are human, we remain lower than the angels. But God's plan is for humans to one day be elevated above the angelic realm and have dominion over God's entire creation, and that is a vast creation. That future dominion will not be turned over to angels, but to humans who have entered the God family. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Verse 5. In Psalm 104, David refers to angels as both spirits and ministers. God makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. Verse 4. A minister is a servant who serves others. So, whom do angels serve? God, of course, but as part of their service to God, they serve humans. Referring to angels, Hebrews 1 verse 14 states, Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? God's plan is for humans to ultimately inherit salvation. The natural end of this human life is death. Salvation is being saved from eternal death. It is receiving from God immortal spirit life, being born by resurrection into the divine family of God. That family, currently comprised of only the Father and Jesus Christ, is above the angels. And yet those angels, even while knowing we shall one day rise above them, humbly and diligently serve us on God's behalf. Another difference between angels and humans is that God brought the angels into existence individually. They are not the result of marriage and reproduction. However, the human race, God's future spirit-born family, started with two humans and has increased as a result of reproduction. God designed the human kingdom to grow through marriage, conception, gestation, birth, and growth to maturity. Christ said, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. He was answering people who were trying to outsmart him with a hypothetical story about a woman who had had seven husbands in this human life, asking whose wife she would be in the resurrection. Christ explained that, as in the case with the angels, marriages will not exist between resurrected spirit beings. There are different types of angels. As we saw earlier, God created all things, visible and invisible, through Jesus Christ. The only spirit beings God created, as recorded in the Bible, are angels. This brings us to a common fallacy regarding angels. When you think of a typical angel, what image comes to mind? A male figure with two wings and long hair? A female with wings? A child or baby with wings? 
Can you think of some popular movies that depict angels using any of these stereotypes? Can you think of songs that portray angels as women? The biblical description of angels is very different from most popular concepts of angels. One misconception is that there is basically just one kind of angel. This is far from the truth, for just as God created variety throughout his vast physical creation, he also created variety in the angelic realm. Cherubim The very first reference to angels in the Bible is to cherubim. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Cherub is the singular form. Cherubim is the plural. The structure in the Godhead also extends into the angelic realm, and cherubim play important roles in God's administration. Angels are closely associated with God's throne. Both Psalms 80 verse 1 and 99 verse 1 state that God dwells between cherubim. The functions of cherubim and their proximity to God are so important that God directed their semblance to be incorporated into the design of God's tabernacle and temple on earth. Two cherubim were sculpted onto the Ark of the Covenant, one on each end. See Exodus chapter 25, verses 18 through 20, and chapter 37, verses 7 and 8. When the temple was constructed, two large sculptures of cherubim were situated inside the Holy of Holies. Their wings spanned the entire width of this inner room. See 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 23 through 28. Artistic designs of cherubim were woven into the walls, curtains, inner veil, and doors. See Exodus chapter 26, verses 1 and 31, chapter 36, verses 8 and 35, 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 29 and 32, and 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. There are several references to cherubim in connection with God's tabernacle and later temple on earth. God has given us a description of cherubim in Ezekiel chapters 1 and 10. In chapter 1, Ezekiel is shown four brilliant, powerful angels in action. In chapter 10, we are told they are cherubim. This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Chebar, and I knew they were cherubim. Verse 20. In these two chapters, we have the remarkable description of this type of angel, and it is very different from popular depictions of a cherub. Ezekiel saw four cherubim, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each had four faces, Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. So besides their dominant appearance being the likeness of a man, they each have three other faces. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side and each of the four had the face of an eagle. Verse 10. Notice that the spirit realm includes designs God later used in creating physical creatures. There are even many descriptions of horses in the spirit realm. See, for example, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 and 14. Each cherub also has four wings, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 6. Their wings stretched upward, 
Two wings of each one touched one another, and two covered their bodies. Verse 11. The sound of these wings in motion is thunderous. Like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult like the noise of an army, and when they stood still they let down their wings. Verse 24. These are very powerful beings. Each cherub also has hands like those of a man. Verse 8. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. Verse 7. Ezekiel also mentioned another unique part of their makeup he called a wheel. No doubt Ezekiel found it difficult to describe these dazzling, otherworldly beings in human terms. Each cherub makes use of a wheel with another wheel inside it. These wheels have rims that are full of eyes and awe-inspiring in their size. The Hebrew wording in Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 means that the movement of the wheels proceeds from the spirit residing in the cherub. In other words, driven by the spirit power of the cherub, his wheels move when he moves. The cherub does not turn or rotate. Instead, the orientation of his four faces remains unchanged, regardless of the direction he travels. Chapter 10, verse 11. Also, each cherub shines brightly and is filled with power, with lightning flashing out of him. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 13. They can move very rapidly, in appearance like a flash of lightning. Verse 14. The locomotion of the cherubim is described as being significant in multiple verses. In Psalm 18, verse 10, David states that the Lord rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. See also 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 11. And so Christ has, at least at times, been transported by cherubim. In connection with this, Ezekiel is shown what is apparently a more detailed description of this picture. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22. The word firmament is translated from the Hebrew word rakia, which is defined by Brown Driver Briggs Hebrew definitions as extended surface, solid, expanse, flat expanse, as base support, firmament. Ezekiel sees a flat, expansive surface or platform, awesome and dazzling in appearance, just over the heads of the cherubim. Let's continue Ezekiel's description. And under the firmament their wings spread out straight, and above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Verses 23 and 26 through 28. Ezekiel saw the incredible scene of the God of Israel, the Lord, sitting on a throne situated upon a platform supported by cherubim. Ezekiel saw this same dazzling scene again in chapter 10, verse 1. Many centuries earlier, Moses and other men saw the God of Israel on a similarly described throne and platform at Mount Sinai. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, 
and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Exodus 24, verses 9 and 10. Seraphim Compared to what's said about cherubim, the descriptions of all other angel types are brief. The description of the seraphim is found only in Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 6. We are not told how many there are, but like the cherubim, they are very near God's throne. In Isaiah's vision, they are above God's throne in the train of his robe. Also, they each have six wings, whereas each cherub has four, and Isaiah says they each have a face, singular, and hands. 24 Elders Before revealing details of end-time events to John, Jesus Christ showed him glimpses of his domain in heaven. In Revelation 4, John sees at least two other groups of angels identified as being close to God's throne. First is a group called the 24 elders. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Verse 4. The only description we have for these elders is that each is dressed in white and wears a gold crown. Four living creatures. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Verses 6 through 8. These differ from the cherubim in that each of these four angels has the dominant appearance of a single specific creature, a lion, calf, human, or eagle. Like the seraphim, they each have six wings. John saw them positioned around God's throne in heaven. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures continuously worship God. The focus of their praise is on the fact that God created everything, themselves included. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Verses 9 through 11. The same scenario with the 24 elders and four living creatures is repeated in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 11, verse 16, and chapter 19, verse 4. Seven Spirits of God. When John relayed to the church all that Christ showed him, he said in his salutation, Grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. 
In addition to the twenty-four elders and four living creatures, John also mentioned these spirits in chapter 4, verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. John mentions them again in the next chapter. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. This verse is symbolic language for Christ, the Lamb, and seven angels who are described as having uniquely special rules. They are positioned before God's throne, but they are described using metaphors in a way that no other angels are. John calls them both lamps of fire and eyes. In the symbolic portrayal of Christ, as a lamb having seven horns and seven eyes, the eyes are represented as very closely associated with Christ. We learn that it is apparently these seven who stand before God who will blow the seven trumpets in the future. Revelation chapter 8, verses 2 and 6. From their description as eyes, it appears they have a special responsibility in being dispatched around the earth as observers for Christ. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, adds information to this rule. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. The time setting in this passage is the rebuilding of the temple. Though the Bible is clear, God has the power to see all things himself, he still chooses to use these angels to observe what is happening on earth and report back to him. Many more angels. In addition to the specially named types or groups of angels, the Bible mentions many more angels. How many? When Jesus Christ was being arrested prior to his crucifixion, he said, Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. A Roman legion was 6,000, so 12 legions would be 72,000. That's quite a lot. But other passages reveal far greater numbers. Daniel, watching as the Ancient of Days was seated on his throne, noted that a thousand thousands ministered to him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. In other words, more than 100 million. Removing any doubt this number is referring to angels, the Apostle John was shown similar numbers. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Revelation chapter 5 verse 11. This again translates to one hundred million plus. Likewise, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 calls the number of angels innumerable. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Appearance in the Physical World When angels appear to humans, the Bible generally describes them as looking like men. Notice, for example, the angel seen at Christ's tomb after his resurrection. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side. 
and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Mark 16, verses 5 through 7. We also see that God has sent angels to communicate specific messages to humans. When Christ ascended from earth back to heaven, Luke recorded, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Acts chapter 1 verse 10. In addition to their appearance as men, sometimes their clean white attire is mentioned. They represent God, and they represent him well. But notice that there is nothing in the Bible that says angels have halos. This is another common fallacy about the appearance of angels. The halo came about in ancient depictions of pagan deities, especially in connection with the sun god. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 makes it clear that when angels are sent to interact with humans, their appearance is often that of a normal human. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some have unwittingly entertained angels. Although angels can appear as human, remember that they are greater in power and might than people. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 And as we learned earlier, their purpose is to serve God, and in so doing, humans, God is working with in this age. Psalm 91 verses 10 through 12 shows that God sends his angels to intervene for his people. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. This promise applied both to the nation, if they would be obedient to God, and to individuals who were faithful to God's covenant. There are also clear indications that God has sent angels to intervene at critical moments in world events. He has a plan and timetable for bringing his kingdom to earth, and his angels will assist as needed in world affairs to keep God's plan on track. Only three angels are mentioned by name. Despite popular lore claiming to know the names of numerous angels, the Bible reveals the names of only three angels. They are Gabriel. Gabriel was sent to the prophet Daniel. Suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Daniel chapter 8 verses 15 and 16. See also chapter 9 verse 21. It is sometimes conjectured that Gabriel may also be an archangel, but the Bible doesn't explicitly say so. Gabriel was also commissioned to deliver an important message to John the Baptist's father, Zacharias. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you. Luke chapter 1 verse 19. Later he was sent to Mary, verses 26 through 38. The second named angel was Michael. Jude chapter 1 verse 9 refers to Michael as the archangel. Archangel literally means chief angel. In Daniel 10 verse 13, Michael is called one of the chief princes. The word prince here means one who has rule over others, such as a captain, general, or governor. 
This verse indicates that Michael is not the only archangel or chief prince in God's angelic realm. He is the only one named. Paul mentioned an archangel in connection with the future return of Jesus Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul here simply says, an archangel, and does not give a name. Jude chapter 1, verse 9 is a remarkable behind-the-scenes glimpse into the invisible spirit world. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. What was this about? After viewing the promised land from atop a mountain, Moses died, and God buried him in a valley, but kept the location of his grave undisclosed. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. Satan apparently had other plans. What exactly those plans might have been is unclear, but the grave could have easily become an object or location for false worship. Michael was dispatched to confront Satan, but in doing so, Michael did not say, I rebuke you. He appealed to God himself to rebuke Satan. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, an angel informed Daniel that Michael was the only other angel who was assisting him in fighting powerful spirit forces. The angel told Daniel, No one upholds me against these except Michael your prince. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 also identifies Michael as having a special role during the future time of great trouble near the end of this age. At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. It appears Michael will be involved in safeguarding God's people during this future, worst-ever time in human history. Some erroneously equate Michael with Jesus Christ, considering them to be one and the same. As we saw in chapter 1, Christ is eternally God along with the Father, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 3. The angel Michael is one of the many spirit beings whom God created. The third named angel is Lucifer. The only other name of an angel in the Bible is found in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. The Hebrew word Hillel, translated as the Latin Lucifer, means light bearer, shining one, or morning star. This was his original descriptive name, but his character later changed. Of the three angels named in the Bible, one is declared as having fallen, and two have not.